We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right, Hack It Out Golf Podcast time. We're talking off-season that's um, unfortunately approaching a little bit too quick. It always comes so quick, the off-season. What can you do for your golf game during the off-season? How could you try and sharpen it up ready for next season? I mean, obviously, you still play in the off-season as well. So how can you just get that game sharp, ready for the competitions next year? Right, Lou and Greg are with us. Welcome, guys. Greg, um, let's start with you off-season ideas. Um, Just you personally, are you off-season now or will you still... Because obviously, PJ Tour is kind of a wraparound, isn't it? I think it kind of never sleeps, does it? Um, Yeah, pretty much. Will you kind of slow down or will you just keep playing at the same pace with your professional golfing life? I think when I was playing full schedule, right now, Mark, as an old man, I, I play you know, six or seven times. I'm, I'm going to play in about six weeks in Bermuda. Um, right. So I've, I'll i start getting ready about a month out. Yeah. Um, but right now I'm really enjoying not doing anything much, touching a golf club and, and in the gym and yeah. just enjoying hanging out with family and doing some fun things, going to a football game next week. So, cool. yes, yeah, so I do have an off-season now. I never really used to, to be honest. I used to mm. play 35 times a year. Uh, probably one of my things that I should have done better as a planner. Um, I went for quantity instead of quality. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so really, really important. You get an opportunity to do it. You you look after it and see if you can't tick some boxes and, and improve. Because obviously, the bigger names that we watch on tour, we won't see them as much now. Moving over into, you know, we'll still see them in certain events, but there will be an element of off season. Uh, Lou, you have an off season for where you live. I think you literally close a bit, don't you? From what months to what months has golf become on that east side for you a little bit? Um, that it doesn't happen. Is that am I got that right? Yeah, you do have that right. Unfortunately, I, I currently live up in the Northeast and we, you know, can play golf through November-ish where I am. Uh, sometimes we get into December, it really depends on the year. Yeah. And then after that, we, for the most part, shut down and we will be shut down, you know, December, January, February, March, 
ish. Okay. And so maybe about four months, roughly, but you never know what's going to happen on the shoulders of, of each of those seasons. So sometimes we get a little extra, sometimes, uh, yeah. you know, winter comes early and stays late. So yeah, never a good time of the year, Mark. Yeah. Is there, is, is there a morning period for you, Lou? Like you, <laughs> you know, shed a tear that, that first time you can't go to the club. He invents tough. more potting it, machines and stuff. And it's, <laughs> it's really tough. And, and then, and then, uh, usually around the first week of February, um, I am so, jacked up to play golf again like it can't come fast enough yeah so um i i it's the worst time of the year i don't want i don't want to talk about it who wanted to do this yeah. the worst. <laughs> so obviously for people in the uk will know like i mean the uk you can play all the way through the winter we're quite hardy we all own waterproofs and broken umbrellas and we'll just keep plowing on um but it's only because there is no summer over there exactly. mate to be fair that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we do during that. june july and august <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, in the winter months, yeah. we put about 17 layers on and do exactly the same. Um, <laughs> but golf does continue. I mean, you can play all year round. It gets muddy and horrible. And depending on your commitment, you people do kind of ease off a bit. And the competitions tend to stop. So you have competitions, but they're more social than they are handicap based. Obviously, that's changed now in the UK because we've got the world handicap system. So I'm presuming people can still maintain their handicaps through the winter, which when I used to play with a mm. handicap, you couldn't. The competitions would stop. Um, I'm sure there's temporary tees and temporary green issues in the UK that might make that not possible if the course isn't fully sloped from those places. But I, I, maybe someone could let me know on my social how that works. I'm a little bit out of that world now. I mean, I do get lots of students who do come to me and certainly did when I was full-time coaching who would look at the off-season as a time to try and, you know, develop. Let's try and improve a skill. Let's see what's happened and try and move on. Just before we just give some outlines of some skills I think people and Lou and Greg think should practice. Uh, Greg, did you look at an off-season as a chance to improve skills? Obviously, you didn't, I guess. If you were just carrying on playing, you just used it as a time. It wasn't really that different. You didn't have enough time to go away and work on stuff, I guess, when you were Yeah, Yeah, time. shamefully, I should, have, I should have had that, Mark, to be yeah. honest. Um, you should have something either A, to get your body in a different state, particularly as you get older, like you want to do some things to get a little bigger, faster, stronger, um, or mobility and look after yourself, um, or B, work on a skill or a move that you want to be different or better. Yeah. Um, yeah but, yeah. you know, typically I only had a couple of weeks, uh, two or three weeks, and that was really just rest and then back at it more golf. So I think the top players that I've been around, I've been around a little bit around Jason Day when Mike, I was coached by the same coach, they do it very well. They they do it about about quality, um, plenty of time off. They work very hard in their weeks off, and not that hard when they're on the road. Yeah. Um, and Tiger does the same thing. You don't see him unless he's really battling. You didn't see him a lot at the course when he was on the road. He he is ready. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, lots that's of a, the, that's just good preparation. Totally. Lots of the tour coaches I talk to and used to talk to a lot as well. You know, they would go to tour events and often feel like a bit of a waste of time. Like, they, you know, what can I do here? They would always say to me, like, we can't make any meaningful changes. We're just really placeboing a bit from day in, day out, trying to give them a feel, trying to give them a bit of a confidence boost. It was always those times, those off-season times where they had them for a month, where they weren't competing, where they would really start to measure and dig down and think about making changes, which I think plays on to this pod. You know, we're going to outline today some ideas of what, normal golfers could work on and think about in the off season if they do have a bit more time where they're you know it gets darker earlier in the uk so those rounds after work kind of disappear so the range time for lots of people might kind of 
accelerate more as a thing what should they work on and i'll kick it off i know the guys have got other things to add as well and if you want us at any point as we go through this pod if you feel like you would like us to do a deeper dive into whatever section we talk about just hit us up on our social channels if we don't cover one enough because we're going to do a bit of an outline today on some ideas of what you could change definitely hit us up on our social channels um, and we can do a dedicated episode to something that we talk about tonight or something that we miss. Um, so the first one I'm going to talk about is driver. I, I Off-season for me, I liked with students I worked with a lot, ones who didn't have their driver as their best mate. You know, golfers who had a driver and were sometimes not hitting it or it was the club that was always giving them lost balls and penalty shots. Using the off-season to really dig down and try and get a hold of their driver was such a a great opportunity for a student and a coach because during an active season of playing golf, sometimes changing the way people's tee shots perform is a bigger job. It takes sometimes a lot of work and effort from coach and student. And it's hard to be worse, isn't it? You know, if you're going to work on something during your games of golf where you're playing okay and you have your good moments and your bad moments, it is hard to go, okay, well, I might play bad for a few rounds because you haven't got that many... Um, you know, to kind of commit to the change. Is that something you guys would struggle with if you're thinking about changing? Like, Lou, for you, someone, a handicapped golfer, your driver can be great, but obviously it can be a little bit off the rails as well. You've been working on your swing. You've been doing it in season as well, haven't you? You've kind of mixed a bit of both of trying to change it well in season, or have you not? How's it working well, for you? I started last December with uh, Jason, who we yeah. had here on the pod uh, a couple months ago. Uh, and we started back in December, and I I made you know a lot of uh, fundamental changes to what I do, and it took a while for them to really start to click in, yeah. and um, and we didn't work on really anything different once we got into the season. We you know kept doing what we were doing, and I kept working on the same things. It was um, the biggest challenge for me was was transferring from the from the from the driving range to the golf course it was it was so so hard to make that change and i had this in between period where you know my index i started the year just above a 5 roughly and my index creeped up to i think 8.2 and during that period i was actually i was hitting it so well on the range and in practice and I couldn't get it to click over onto the golf course. I'd get into those situations and everything, all the old tendencies would kind of mix back in and, and um, it was a challenging period. And then it really started to click and, you know, my index has been in a free fall sense and uh, I got some Monday cues lined up. Um, I mean, <laughs> corn fairy tour might be an option at this you point. I'm be, considering, <laughs> considering next steps. Um, but it's you have been, to talk to your manager hard. first. Talk to my manager. But, I, you know, for people here that actually have an off season, you know, because it's so hard, and I have no idea how tour pros do it with hardly any downtime when they are making swing changes. I don't think you make many, you know, Greg's never seen my swing and, and my swing changes are probably a little more drastic than his would be. Um, but I don't know how you do it with how challenging it is to take it from the range to the course. Yeah, well, I think I, I think Mark and Lou, you, you Mark, you might understand this because you've been around the pros a lot. Pros seem to buy into the process of time being. We're going to let this work in for a while, and they're happy to wait years sometimes or months, long periods of time of hard work. They're much more patient, I think, sometimes with um, the process of change. 
Um, I don't know. Most amateurs, um, they want to play good right now. Um, the yeah. ones I'm dealing with anyway. And, yeah, yeah. and even if they, even if they say they want a long-term plan, they, the next thing will be like, ah, but I want to play good on Saturday. Yeah. And so it's, uh, <laughs> it's really hard to, you know, what Lou's done is quite unique in a sense for a lot of people. I think that it makes sense and it's, it's a very good way to do it. And he's seen the benefits of it um, where you just buy into what your coach is telling you and, and you make a big plan to make some changes. But I, the thing that I took away from what you were saying, Lou, is it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Right? It's difficult to change how you move. Yeah, um, of course it is. And it, it's so intrinsically built into everything you do. If you actually study the way people uh, move, you know, it, it's, it boils down to the way they even bring themselves into a lesson, the way they walk, the way their shoulders sit, the way their spine sits. It's, it's intrinsically in every part of what they do. And to make those kind of shifts can be tough. Um, interesting what you say there, Greg, as well. I was talking to a very good coach recently. He does lots of work with uh, very high-profile players as well as normal players. He, he, he studies movement in, in, in an amazing way. Um, he was saying that, uh, and I found this with lots of players I've worked with, amateurs, if the ball starts going left and right, they panic. Like you're making a change and they hook one and they fade one. They kind of run away. They get scared quite quickly. They start mishitting it. They also get scared as well. Pros, missing left, missing right, making a change. They don't care because they know you just give me 10 goes and I'll sort that out. Like they can get that. Mm -hmm. If they start miss hitting it is when they generally run away quite quick because they are obviously generally quite good at hitting. So you've basically got half the amount of fragileness, if you like, out in that student there, which is where the pro is then I think much more committed to that longer um bigger change and i mean it's interesting lou saying that he started during december and basically started during the off season to make those changes and it's such a good time to do it and if you're looking at changing your driver if it isn't your friend and hasn't been this season and it isn't one of your favorite clubs trying to make it your favorite club would be a great thing to try and achieve during your off period or your time at the range Best practices for improving your driver. First thing I would like you to look at is curvature. How much curvature do you put on the ball? Trying to reduce that amount of curvature, if it's quite a lot, often for golfers helps them become a little bit more accurate. It gives them a little bit more distance, the more curvature they have. So big draws or big fades, I don't care what the shape of the shot is. Um, They're often harder to manage, certainly harder to manage from ranges, the courses, and they certainly sap distance. So, Looking at how much curvature you put onto your shots would be a really good starting point. Also, strike. Drivers, I see people not enough relating the shots they hit to the strikes they hit. I've taught so many people who hit a cut because they've hit out the heel, and the first thing they say, see, look, I've come across that one, and I left the face open on that one. Well, you didn't. You've used the same delivery numbers that you've used for the last 10 shots, but that one was out the heel, and there's a thing called gear effect that was turning it away. So learning those patterns of why the curvature is coming out is massive. Massive, massive difference between amateurs, general day-to-day golfers, and tour pros. Tour pros very much know where they've struck the ball on the face and will often relate the outcome straight away to that strike. Amateurs mix swing ideas, their path delivery, their if the face is open or closed, and strike into one pot, mix it around and literally just pull one out. And I just think, wow, like golf's random enough as it is if you're adding those elements of random in there as well. And the other biggest thing is for me, if you want to get better with driver, you're going to focus on driver. That's the club you're going to fix over the off season. 
just get a series of lessons. Just don't go to the range trying to find your little secret kind of placebo for that night. Go to a golf pro who can measure you, hopefully with a launch monitor. And there's other devices like um, Twin Catalyst Force Plates that I use that I just literally wouldn't teach without the more I use it. The same as I wouldn't teach without a launch monitor nowadays to full body measurements, whatever. There are coaches near your area. You might need to travel 40 minutes rather than 10 who will measure you, they'll give you definite answers of why the shots you hit are created, and then together you can work on fixing them. There, there's not many lessons nowadays with good coaches where there's any guessing. They, they can so just measure no, and tell you why X, Y, Z is happening. There doesn't need to be wasted time trying to guess why something happened anymore, which... Isn't the, isn't the technology so good, Mark, to, for matching the feel of what you're doing? Like I did a lesson today where a, a client was... He thought he was swinging way out to the right because he's a perennial six degrees left when yeah. he swings. Yeah. And he was neutral. Yeah. But it felt like he was swinging, you know, miles off to the right. And I'm like, you know, and once once you understand that, you can match the feel you want when the when that when that machine isn't there to what you need to do to to get performance out when Tr- you're on the range. Trying to persuade your lesson that they're when they feel they're swinging to the right, they're actually a zero, so straight path without that machine. You, there's an element of Very doubt difficult. in that. Yeah, you need so much trust with that student and they still won't really believe you because they'll think, really, I am definitely. So 100%, mm-hmm. not only is it quicker to um, diagnose, and uh, I always think when I'm measuring students, I used to say this to my students all the time, I, I can take this diagnosis. We could go to Wembley Stadium in front of hundreds of thousands of people and I'll get up there and show my diagnosis. I've got measured data. I'm, there's, I'm not guessing. There's no predictions here i'm saying this player does x y or z when he or she thinks these things that produces zero path more than eight out to in so that's why we went down that road like there was no coming out of lessons thinking cool did i give a good lesson then was that right will that work but like i come out of lessons just thinking that's what we've got to fix how are we going to do it so mm-hmm. definitely looking at strike looking at curvature with your driver and getting some good measured lessons is a great way of moving that club from a club that you might be running away from or a club that's costing you lots of shots into turning it into one that is your favorite because most of the decent amateurs that i play with when they pull a driver in it's one of their favorite clubs they're generally good off their handicap so if it's a 20 handicapper who likes pulling their driver they're generally one of the better 20 handicappers. If they're a 10 handicapper who likes pulling their driver, they're generally a decent 10 handicapper. Um, so getting good with that club just sets up days of a lot of fun. Um, Lou, we'll finish on Greg ones. Greg's uh, uh, one. We'll come to you last, Greg. I do like your one. Um, Lou, what have you got for us? Um, well, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do this off season. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> last, last off season, <laughs> this pod is about you. I keep forgetting. It is about <laughs> you. Last off season was big swing changes, and I, I just want to emphasize something that Greg said. I think it's so important to listen to world class players and what they do and how they do it. And Greg said, tour pros are you know they're content to to realize it's going to take months and months and months for a change uh, to take effect uh, after a lot of hard work. And Greg is absolutely correct in that us amateurs, we, you know, we tend to not do that. And I know a lot of amateurs and I was guilty of this in the past where, you know, I'd go for one lesson, maybe two lessons and and then that's it. I'm done. Never going to see that teacher again. Yeah. And I made a decision to not do that. And I, I found a really good teacher in, in Jason and, and 
I stuck with him uh, and still with him um, 10 months later. And it was a lot of work, but it was 100% worth it. It took time, but it, it's worth it. And that's something that us amateurs need to to do more of. So anyone you know looking to make some changes, the off season is a good time to start, but but don't think you're going to solve that problem in three weeks. Um, it's going to take some time and make sure you put some effort into it. So the other thing I'm, I'm going to be working hard at uh, this off season is fitness and speed. Um, I lost speed. Um, You're disappointingly slow now, aren't you? You are disappointingly slow. (laughs) Yeah, I might even be lower than that. I was hitting some little pea shooters after the other day, and I'm like, oh, this is not good. Um, So it is is slipping, uh, and fitness is also something that I've let slip a little bit. I dealt with a, you know, a hip issue this year, seemed to be you know back and, and mostly pain-free and no, no problems. So I'm going to get fit and I'm going to work on speed and speed train. And I think that's something that, you know, everybody can, uh, you know, can tackle that. Everyone can, pretty much everyone can get faster, especially amateurs and, and everyone can get more fit, especially if it's something you're you're not really spending any time on. So that'll be big on the list for me. Uh, the other thing that I'm really excited about is um, I recently got uh, 4D motion sensors, so they allow you to to uh, you know look at everything in 3D. And I'll be you know continuing to refine the swing, and I, I've gotten to a point where I think the you know the bigger changes I was trying to get through I I, th- I think are in a decent spot. And now I want to refine and and really use it like a data capture tool. It's no different than force plates. It's no different than uh, your launch monitor. I just want to start getting data on, you know, how my body is moving in certain positions so that I can start to associate, you know, feel with real with some of the other things I'm, I'm trying to do and change. And I think the launch monitor was incredibly helpful for that. You know, Greg brought up swing path. And I worked hard to change swing path. And I don't know how I would have been able to do it without, you know, that feedback device. And so I'm going to use 4D motion as a feedback device for some of the things I'm, I'm trying to work through. Did yeah. you did you build that yourself, Lou? No, 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 no. All these are good. He device. got he got some aluminum yeah. foil out. Yeah, I got some aluminum lasers, foil, lasers, doors, couple of batteries, ringing yeah, bells, fire trucks, laser beams, <laughs> you name it. Yeah, sirens. What are you doing, all. honey? Building a four D motion. Leave me alone. <laughs> when we, uh, no. when I finally turn up to meet Lou at some point when I get over there, if he hasn't got a DeLorean in the garage or something, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's in there. yeah, but you're fucking up his nuclear reactor. The flux capacitor. I, uh, no, I did not. I did not build this. Um, I I, uh, I have it from a, a company called 4D Motion. Yeah, and I uh, got it from them, and they make uh, you know they make uh, stuff to help you measure in 3D, which so it's, is uh, it's, it's 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 really cool. You've got sensors. You're putting sensors, yeah. strapping sensors on your body, Correct. and they'll move then in 3D motion. Correct. It'll have tolerances of movement. So I think you've probably got the. Um, like it'll buzz if you move certain segments of your body through tolerances. I don't know if it does that. Yeah, it you can does. set it up. Yeah, you can set it up to do that way and get that biofeedback, yeah. um, which is really cool. But I, I love the, you know, for me, the way I use it is the way that I will use it is is just it's a feedback device, yeah. right? So if I if I'm trying to, um, you know, change maybe shoulder plane on the way back. Are you actually um, doing I, it? I mean, that's what it'll Am I like. actually doing yeah, it and yeah. by how much? Yeah. You know, did I go from 36 to 37 degrees or 38 degrees? And and then really starting to associate 
what the number was with what I felt like it was. And that was huge for me when I was changing swing path, angle of attack, um, and um, launch. You know, I, I would hit balls and I'd try to close my eyes immediately and guess what it launched at. Yeah, um, and and trying to to guess those things, like trying to, you know, take a swing. And before I looked at the output from the launch monitor, say, you know, I think that one was uh, two degrees left. Um, and then look at it and see how close I was and see how good I could get at that. And that was so helpful to start associating what I felt with what was actually happening. Yeah. If that, hopefully that makes sense. It, 100%. Yeah, it just, it just accelerate that, yeah. And Very the good. only thing with that, Lou, is uh, I don't know if you've seen that picture. Well, I know you've seen that picture because you post it at me constantly of me in my pants swinging with the yes. sensors on me. That when yeah. you put those sensors on, try and have as minimal amount of clothes on as possible because they, they, it moves. This is a family podcast. It moves with the clothes. So it, the tolerance is. Oh so I'm I, joking aside, try and have as little amount of clothing on, as close as it can get to your hey, body, the better. If you guys need to get a room, that's perfectly okay. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm really excited is that Lou, when talking about his swing, is using the word refine. That's really blown me up, that. He's used, he's we're, not, we're not rebuild. We're I might have to have a new we're, button. We're, I might need a new button on my system. Because we've got, I like it. He's now refining because it certainly refining. wasn't refining at the start. That's what I, well, that's what us tour pros do, Mark. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you wouldn't uh, associate with what Greg and I go yeah, through. I can't relate. Yeah, yeah. Can't relate to that. Um, so, Greg, last one. What what would you advise for people who are looking in the off season to try and change their game and improve themselves, ready to come out of the blocks next year? I like what you tweeted earlier. I think it was today, Mark, which was just be honest. Yeah. So have an honest assessment of where you're wasting shots and where you're losing shots, and find. Sometimes it can be really simple stuff. Um, what I like to do when I'm playing, um, even socially, is, is just sit down. Was that an execution mistake or was that just a bad plan? Yeah. Um, and you can sit down and decide, well, you, you're going to have execution mistakes. You're going to hit bad shots or average shots, but you can't afford to have bad plans. And some examples would be trying to hit a three-wood out of four-inch rough nice. or yeah. you know, trying to go at a pin that's hanging out of water. Look, I get it if you hit it in the water. But if your plan was to hit it straight at the hole, well, that, that's probably a bad plan, you know, yeah. if, you, if it's cut near the edge of water. So make some good – figure out what's a good decision versus what's a bad decision and a bad plan and a good plan. So that would be some easy ways to, I think, get some low-hanging fruit and, and get things sorted out and save some shots. Um, yeah, 100%. Outside of, outside of that, I'm actually doing the same as Lou. I'm on, a, I'm on a bit of a weight loss program, put on a bit of poundage over the last little bit. So I'm actually working on that. And to think, just to give everyone an idea of what I'm thinking, I'm thinking November next year when it's like we're nearly in November this year. Yeah, I've got a 12 month plan to get ready for trying to qualify for the Champions Tour. That's my journey. Yeah, but yeah. I actually enjoy the process. You yeah. know, I enjoy trying to do things, and I want to, you know, learn and be different and and be better at that point. Um, that's my goal. Yeah, absolutely. And the be honest bit, I think, can work on so many levels. There, Greg, I'm sure you've seen it with your students. I've seen it with students students who aren't honest and I don't mean that in a nasty way like they're being dishonest and nasty but I'll say some things the students are so you know does that make sense they'll go yeah yeah I get that and then they hit a shot and I think well if that did make sense that was a pretty bad interpretation of what we've just just discussed so I've obviously not made myself clear I'll try and ask it in a different way 
But that's not being honest. They're just saying, yes, they do understand where blatantly they don't. So be honest can be, you know, trying to really look much more internally at you and if you have understood the information. Um, and, you know, the best the best students when it came to these off-season learners and through the season is the ones who wanted real feedback. They would hit a shot and they would say, I felt like I did it, did I do it? You know, they wouldn't just go, did you understand that? Yeah, yeah, I understood that. And then just carry on with a strong grip or carry on, you know, doing whatever, the moving the ball like four inches forward of where we want it to hit, you know, better strikes. Um, so being honest and reflecting back at how you play. And, I, and one thing I notice with students as well when they play is, you know, if you're having quite a few shots, you know, you've got golfers who are watching and will be shooting 80s, 90s, in the 100s, and like, that's all cool. I, you know, whatever you shoot, a 100 score is a great score for someone who's never broken 110, as well as Greg shooting 65 is a great shot for Greg. They're relative. Um, but, like, when you take a lot of shots, sometimes it's quite hard to remember them all. So when I talk about being honest, it's like that. there's lots of shots they just forget. I did a golf school, really, and I... You know, we're in the bar afterwards and I would say, oh, do you remember, you know, on the second, there was like three holes left of that fairway and you missed it in the reeds to the right. And they, second, what happened on the second? I think, wow, like, I didn't even hit the shot and I remember it. You hit that shot because they've just so much going on. So being honest can be just having things that allow you to reflect much more in a unemotional way at how you perform, if it's collecting stats that allow you to be unemotional about your performance, if it's even writing something down when a mistake happens, write it on a card, you know, miss fairway on the right, and then when you finish the round, think, okay, third, miss fairway on the right, oh, yeah, I remember that now. Why did I do that? Oh, you know, what are some of the fixes for next time? I could have less curvature, improve my driver. I could have struck it better. I healed it. I could have aimed completely different. You know, there was so much room left. Or that is just a tight hole. Maybe I do need to go for a lesson. So being honest will allow you to do the things um, that you want to do over your off-season in a more constructive way. I've seen it time and time again. Like, people come for a lesson. What do you want to work on? Consistency, they say. Okay, consistency. Who doesn't say that? Um, in the golf school I just did with Andrew Rice, he said, um, "What does every we had to go around <laughs> went around the group?" And he said, "It's really good what he said. I like the way he did it." He said, um, "I want you all to say what's one thing you'd like to get from the golf school over these two days, but the one thing you're not allowed to say is be cons- well, be more consistent because that's what he wants." <laughs> <laughs> when you measure people, they generally are incon- uh, they generally are consistent. They're just consistently missing it to the right or consistently missing it to the left. Um, right. But being more honest and reflecting back on um, what you're doing in a more honest way, and, and again, I mean honest as in help yourself be more honest. Make notes. Take notes of when you lost your emotions. Take notes of when you hit a shot that was a mistake to help you remember and look for any patterns that will help you make the right questions, ask the right questions when you go to your lessons. Um, and the last one for me then, so the last one that I would like people to do, and this I is want, I, No, so, I want to jump in here. Go Sorry, on, Mark. Lou. Yeah, go I, for I it. just want to, I want to comment on Greg, uh, you know, being honest. I think that's important, and, and I'll just uh, put a little plug in here for tracking your stats as yeah. the resident stat hole. It's so important to understand where you Stat are performing out on the golf course. Stat <laughs> Boom. There you go. And that was a bit it, late. It's, um, it's, uh, I, I worked with a player, started working with a player about a year and a half ago. 
And he started collecting stats for me. And I remember having a conversation with him and him, him telling me the strength of his game was around the green. <laughs> and he was losing almost two shots per round around the green. It yeah. was, but he thought it was the strength of his game. And it was, it was his weakest area God. of the four components of tough golf. to get better and, at golf isn't it if that's your yeah perception. and so you know greg has such, it's such a great point of being honest with yourself and and being honest with yourself when you're tracking your stats um you can you can take all the bias out of it and just let the numbers dictate what the performance is yeah and so i think that's a really good one that, that greg brought up and and that can help guide you and what you're going to do next yeah, it's not 100%. it's not it is confronting too like i get oh, it it's not easy. So you, might have to, you might have to swallow your ego just it's a, a little, little raw bit. isn't it yeah, yeah. yeah it can be it can be tough to, like every to time you guys say to me 106 like it cuts deep yeah cuts we're being really generous deep. with that i thought it was 103 yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's his comment, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you there. It's about taking emotion away. Golf's such an emotionally charged game. The more you can take emotion away and look at it like, well, the way I look at a student, there's a bit of an emotional connection and we try to, I can see that they're a bundle of emotions that I'm trying to manage. But the like the the baseline of what I'm measuring and looking at the fix is emotionless. They just need to stop striking it there. They just need to stop having the face that open to the path. That's the emotional. And then the rest of the language that comes out of my mouth might be, do you think it would be better if you did this? You know, you then play the emotional part. So when it comes to being nice, definitely taking those emotions away is a, is a skill to try and get better at. Stats does that for you. Um, and the last one for me then, I reckon Greg, I reckon and Lou, I reckon you're similar personalities with this. The thing I liked about trying to make changes in off seasons or whenever I knew I had a downtime was I quite like having fresh goals. I quite like having a fresh challenge, like all through my life. Absolutely. I've tried to always mm -hmm. have hobbies which turn into jobs and then outside of my job, which is golf, which is still a hobby in golf. I have other challenges that I do. So, for instance, when I was in America recently, I did some surfing with my son and I was rubbish at it. I fell off, but I just wanted to get better and better and better. Like, if I lived there, I'd be doing it every week. And it was the same with golf. If I found out that someone was better than me because of X, let's say they hit the ball further than me and we're pretty, you know, everything we're pretty much the same, but they got less club in, uh, that's a fresh goal. I'm on that. Let's play. This is fun now. They're like golf wins a lot give me some other fresh goals that allow me to stay hungry and competitive and want to do this i think is really positive because like uh, greg said there which is so true with stats and i see it with people who collect stats is they um, do it for a year and then they drop off they do it for six months they drop off because what they do is they see that it's really actually quite hard to move them it's it's sometimes not as easy as just seeing them you see them and you think well, how am i meant to move that uh, similar to like a launch monitor when it came like it would have angle of attack and or, or vertical swing plane track manner when it arrived which is basically like dynamic lie um and i would think well how on earth will you fix that like it's all great giving me that number and it's the same with force plates at the minute you get different forces and i've done some talks with force plates and people are like they're coming because they're like well, I've got a force plate and I'm thinking of getting one, but I haven't got a clue how to change someone's vertical force and the timing of it. So having these new goals, I think when you do look at yourself more honestly and you look at your game and you want to work and stuff of, of the off time, can just give you like a whole new lease of life, can't it? It like inspires yeah, you, can, you to 
Oh, I'm really you up. You can go on a little thing. journey, Mark. Yeah. You go on a little journey is what you do. And I think too, people, if you find it difficult, well, that's great. Of course, it's meant to, it's not easy to make yeah. change. But what I would be more frustrated with in myself is if I'm still doing the same things wrong in 12 months' time. 100%. Right? Yeah. So I enjoy the journey of trying to improve um, whatever area of my sort of life is or, or my game is when it, we're talking about golf. Yeah. Um, I, like this, I've been on a similar thing that Lou's got going on with trying to generate speed. I've been doing that for about three years now. But you now, were never down at 106, Greg, were you, down there? I was 109, 108. Yeah. Um, but after a heavy you know, night, not you were not, yeah, probably, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I mean, I can't, no one's. Brutal. I've never heard of anybody at lose numbers. I was certainly not up 12 degrees or whatever, you know, that, looking into the moon as we, you know, where's your ball? Um, anyway, yeah, so that's a. That, that's something I've really enjoyed that process. And I think that's part of it. Don't look at it like as. It's just part of learning and then part of, you know, experimenting with movement and trying to find different ways to pick up something and learn. Because if you're not learning, uh, I don't know, that's not as much fun to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. So, it, it's got to be, um, it's got to carry on moving, I always think, for me. And I see it with students. I see students who are kind of in ruts. They come for a series of lessons and they like, they're at the range every week now. And I think, cool, this lesson is working on so many levels. So it's worked on the fact that we've given them some measured data and some focused training, but it's also obviously inspired them to enjoy learning again because they're where I used to see them come to the range once every three months. They're now coming like twice a week. And I used to think, well, that's brilliant. Like that's the power of lessons and connecting with a human being, may it be through golf or whatever, just to give them those inspirations to, to, you know, push down some barriers, jump over some hurdles this off-season. You can jump over them. They can be small hurdles. They can be having three free putts per 18 holes and taking it down to two free putts per 18 holes. Like, that will shift needles. That will help you enjoy your game more. It might be losing, you know, two balls around to losing 0.5 balls per round. Like they can be small hurdles or big ones. They're still fun hurdles to jump over and remove from your path. So absolutely in the off season, the more you use it, um, I think the more you'll come out next year and just enjoy golf a little bit more. There we go. Off season. And finally, the off season is the best time of the year to build your own training aids. <laughs> oh my heavens. There we go. Get down to Home Depot and start building yeah. people. Like a Rube Goldberg machine or something. <laughs> yeah, you know, like balls that. bouncing everywhere. <laughs> How to make yeah. something really simple extremely difficult yeah, yeah. by Lou Stagner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we... <laughs> oh, it's almost like is he like he wakes up and knocks a little ball bear and it goes down a track <laughs> yes. down into the kitchen, turns the kettle on. That's that probably how he stuff. makes his toast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> toast goes in straight out of Back to the Future. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there we go. Stuff. Off season, maybe in our social channels, let us know what you're going to work on this off season. And the other thing as well, just quickly to finish on. We talk technically because we quite like, you know, the three people in this pod, I would say, are pretty interested in improvements through everything we do. Like, But your other thing I've seen people work on in the off season, and it's really worked for them, is how to enjoy it more. Like, let's not forget that. Some people don't want to lose less balls. Some people don't want to win every week. They just go for a social chat with their mates. So maybe it's changing the group. Fun. Yeah, maybe it's changing the group of golfers <laughs> that you go to into a funner group. Maybe it's 
incorporating some holidays or that you play some other courses, like local ones that you like and you don't just go to your same. So in the off-season, just being, I think that honest bit just reflects it back. What What is the enjoyment? Where is the enjoyment that you get out of this leisure activity? Um, and it can change. I was someone who used to always want to compete and get better, and I still do for my videos and personal um, feelings. But when it comes to playing golf, I'm playing socially and I'm choosing who I play with and where I go. That's where I get the fun from. So also it can be about moving the needle and how much fun and where you get that fun from. So um, don't think it's all about measuring every centimetre and millimetre of strike and everything. That's just a group of people will get turned on from that. Other people might just want to, you know, play less in the rain or whatever it is. Play a flatter course rather than a hillier one. Um, Off-season, let us know what you're going to work on uh, in our social channels. Thanks for listening as always. Hit those stars up. Let us know how we are doing and we'll look forward to catching you in the next podcast. <laughs>